You're listening to the Skeptic's Guide to the Universe, your escape to reality. Hello and welcome to the Skeptic's Guide to the Universe. Today is Wednesday, December 20th, 2006, and this is your host, Stephen Novella, president of the New England Skeptical Society. Joining me this evening are Bob Novella. Happy last day of fall, everyone. Perry DeAngelis. And his glorious return, finally back. Oh, this is my second show. Hello. Evan Bernstein. Well, hello, everybody. Rebecca Watson. Hi, everybody. And Jay Novella. Top draw, folks. Top draw. So, astute listeners may have realized that we have a full boat tonight. This is the first time we've had all six rogues on the show at the same time. It's like a Christmas special. <laughs> it's a holiday. Yay. It's a holiday miracle, is what it is. <laughs> it is. I can't wait till Farrah Fawcett shows up. <laughs> <laughs> So the reason, the reason why uh, we've never all been on before is that Skype just released a patch that allows us to have more than five people on at once. Right. Up the limit to nine. Tomorrow, as Bob alluded, is the first day of winter, the winter solstice, for those of us in the northern hemisphere. And for our listeners in the southern hemisphere, it's the first day of summer. It's better to be in the southern hemisphere. How about that? Yeah, it's, <laughs> wish, we, wish we were there. It's, a, it's an optimistic day because that's when the days start it, getting longer, longer again. Yes, it's the return of light, which is why there's a lot of holiday celebrations. How does the sun know? Although, ironically... Is the sun closer or farther away in the winter? We're closer to the sun in the winter. Yep. Hey, very it's good. About three million, three million miles, I you think. You can't fool right. these guys. The difference in temperature, by the way, has to do with the angle of the sun, not nearness or farness. Angle very good, very good, Angle Perry. of the Earth. You've, you've mastered grade, grade school science. Great. Aww. Thank you. Somebody give Perry an extra cookie. I never claimed to have gotten beyond grade school. I don't think it's a reason to belittle me. Today's also a, uh, a bittersweet anniversary. This is a day that we can remember somebody who is uh, close to all skeptics, but this is the anniversary of uh, Carl Sagan's passing. Ten years ago today, uh, Carl Sagan died. That was uh, a that decade? Was decade. A decade. I can't believe it. It was, it was right at the beginning of uh, the New England Skeptical Society. It's like one of our first newsletters, in fact. was a mo- One of our strongest pillars was, was broken. Yes, it's true. It is. What took him? What was his ailment? Uh, bone marrow cancer, right? Yes, and then he... Um, the pneumonia was the final of any other, I think, a viral pneumonia that did not respond to treatment. Do you guys remember the email that uh, that Randy sent out? Yeah. He sent out no. an email to talk, to address the issue with everyone, and I remember he said something like, we lost a, you know, a giant. It was oh, very absolutely. sad. It was very sad. You could tell he knew, he knew and cared about Carl Sagan a lot. There was only one Carl Sagan, the skeptical community. I mean, that was a, that was a blow. That was a blow. It was. I mean, Carl, was the I remember. I mean, Carl Sagan, of course, is uh, was an astronomer who was really um, did did more than probably any other scientist in his generation to popularize not just astronomy but science in general. Uh, his series uh, Cosmos is still a landmark series, and I remember that on the in one episode of Cosmos, uh, Sagan debunks you know very briefly. Um, the notion of UFOs and that aliens are visiting the Earth, and some of the some of the uh, what was being put forward at the time as key as key pieces of evidence, and at the time, that was the first time I had ever heard anybody express any skepticism about UFOs or the fact that we're being visited by aliens, and it was it was a total revelation. I mean, it was hmm. 
literally my introduction into the whole notion of skepticism. What about in search of, Steve? Right, in search of. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but Spock was on that. It had to be true. <laughs> Logical. That Leonard Nimoy special was uh, series was terrible, terrible. I, I dare say that not one truthful thing was ever discussed on that show. Right? Every single episode was total bullshit. No matter what they were searching for, they found it. <laughs> yeah, but his delivery was awesome. Uh, yeah. But we, who can deny, anyone who does remember watching that show as a kid, we were all drooling. We were so excited about it. That was my favorite TV show. It was. It was huge. It was horrible. <laughs> it was, I'll so never forget, bad. I saw Carl Sagan once on the Dennis Prager show. And he was talking about, uh, you know, it was was kind of religious, but he was talking about, he's, look, here's the galaxy, you know, here's all the galaxies, and here's this one galaxy, and here's this spur, and way down here at the end of this spur, way over here, look at this little piece of dust over here. This is the center of the universe, he says. These people here, they believe there's, the whole thing is preposterous. The tiny blue dot. And he really, really pointed out how insignificant the Earth was. In the in the uh, in the great cosmos. Yeah. So well, he was actually he was instrumental in uh, in convincing people to turn Voyager around uh, to get that final shot of uh, of the Earth. Of the Earth, yeah. And uh, you know, I think I think that picture might have even did that even um, inspire his uh, the title of his book, Pale, Pale Blue, Blue Dot. Dot. Yeah. And he it, it took some convincing. Uh, apparently, people didn't want to you know turn Voyager around, but he convinced him and, uh, and got that famous picture. Yeah. So, Bob, is, was it a big deal to actually turn Voyager around? You, you wouldn't think so, but... <laughs> I, I don't know. Retasking spacecraft is pretty... That's, I think it's pretty substantial. Six billion but, uh, kilometers away. But still, it's impressive. Too. Is that how far away it was? It was, yep. It was over six billion kilometers, according the, to the, the website. The point is that, that he knew. You know, he saw it. In his mind, he knew how important that picture was going to be. You know that part of science and the public support support for science is capturing our the imagination, you know, of of people, and that you have to have the the romanticism and the awe of science. Uh, and he, he was the best at that at at presenting science in such a way that broadened your perspective on yourself and on reality, and really did bring that sense of awe. Well, he captured it in Cosmos, that's for sure. It should be required viewing at school, and Demon Haunted World should be required reading. It's cliche to say it, but they really should be. I agree. Demon Haunted World was my first, uh, you know, serious skeptics book. And Mine too. Such it, an important it, it book. Was, yeah, too. it was a perfect introduction to it because he presents things with such a, a, you know, such a pleasant tone, and he's very easy to follow, and... Before you know it, he's led you down this path where all of a sudden you look back and you started really far away. But it, it didn't really seem like a long and hard journey. Yeah, where he it's true. <clears throat> I, I think that is you know the one book, if, if anyone has to read one book that sums up uh, science, the skeptical community, and so many other things that, w- that we champion here uh, yeah. in, in our cause, it's that book. Yeah. I would watch Carl Sagan's show. I felt like he simultaneously was an absolute authority in what he was saying, and he also was in absolute awe and in love with what he was expressing and relating to us. That's how I remember him. I always, yeah. I always think of him as, you know, he, he really knew what he was talking about, and he was very confident about it, but he was also expressing to you how much he loved the material. Yeah. Well, it's, now, it's a translation of that passion 
to the common ear is what makes you a great speaker and a great communicator. Have they updated Cosmos in, in its most recent release? Did they actually update some of the signs? Because I'm sure it was, you know, very out of date. It's actually not. I mean, I, I, I watched it recently. Uh, the entire with, thing. Yes. And most of it is not out of date. I mean, most of this stuff is basic, you know, physics and and biology. It could use a nice remastering. They did do that. They did update the special effects. They they, they yeah. did. Okay. Right. I recently saw Ken Burns' Civil War remastered, and you wouldn't think, I mean, how old is that, 12 years, 15 years? The remaster, it looks beautiful by comparison. It really 12 does. 12 years ago, I mean, that was the dark ages of CGI. It, it makes makes yeah. a huge difference, huge difference. Well, how many special effects were there in that in that documentary? Doesn't even need it, Bob. Just a picture of Shelby Foote sitting in his chair. They, they showed them side by side before and after. It's startling. Wow. Yeah, they really did do a great job. Carl Sagan, one last thing, boy, I'll tell you, at the beginning of Demon Haunted World, when he says that his love of science and and astronomy and just all of it really came to his mind the first time, he said, when he first began to grasp that the stars were mighty suns. Think about that concept. when When that first enters your mind, that those little flecks of light up there are actually mighty burning suns. And what a revelation. Some of them much, much bigger than our sun. Yeah. yeah and what a revelation, you know. And he said that. That was, that was what captured his imagination. And he also, he, he characterized science as a personal journey. And he really presented it that way. And it's like we were joining him on this personal journey of discovery of the universe. Right. And that, that's what really sucks you in. So here's remembering Carl Sagan, definitely an icon of, of uh, science, of, of the public understanding of science and of the skeptical movement. Um, there's uh, a movement among science bloggers to ever, for everyone to write about Carl Sagan today to uh, commemorate uh, this milestone, and we're doing our part in doing that as well. We miss you, Carl. Yeah, we thanks, do. Carl. Uh, so let's move on. We have a couple of the news items uh, tonight. There's a bit of a Sylvia Brown update. We can't go for yeah. too much time without <laughs> reminding everybody about how terrible and horrific this woman is. Sylvia Brown is a somewhat popular, noted psychic. Claimed psychic. Claimed, alleged psychic. But she is just terrible. She is a frequent guest on the Montel Williams show. The One of the nice things about YouTube is that it, it is easy to share you know interesting videos and there's been a couple of videos on sylvia brown going around on youtube oh, well screw that just go to stop com where that's true robert... <laughs> go right to the source uh, yeah, yeah no the, really because that's where robert lancaster is collecting all of those videos so you can see them all in one place it's very handy but but cool. the, that's true and, and the two that that have been circulating almost virally now are, are recent psychic alleged psychic readings that she's doing where she, things go horribly wrong for Sylvia. The uh, So watch them. We'll have the links. But quickly, in one of them, a woman says that she's crying over the fact that she lost her boyfriend and he was never found. And Sylvia says that's because he's in water. So she was just trying to make a high probability hit. Someone's dead they were never found therefore let's they're probably in water maybe they're yeah. the earth is covered in water so <laughs> water people who people whose bodies are not found were probably lost in water so she's that's what she says it All turns right. out that her boyfriend was a fireman who was lost on 9 11 
So there's really no possible connection to water or drowning. And Sylvia, though, doesn't give up. She's like, well, I see him in water. And he's telling me that he can't breathe because he's drowning in water. And the the woman, I think, you could tell she was just horrified. She was stunned. She's like, what is this woman talking about? (laughs) Yeah, I think Sylvia tries to bring it back to smoke in his lungs or something like that. Yeah, and then Montel is like, well, you know, the... You know, he he tries to play along and help her out whenever she stumbles, yeah. which is totally ridiculous. Yep, he covers her. Yep, tries. To. I had I actually had to pause that video halfway through. I I couldn't get through it. The first the first try, it was just so pathetic and disgusting. It was horrific. You think that's horrific. bad? You should try seeing her in person. It's like no, thank you. <laughs> it's like a million hot pokers in your eyeballs. It's it's <laughs> it's, it's horrific. Like you saw her in person, Rebecca? Yeah. Um, I blogged about it sucked? a while back. Um, <laughs> n- no. <laughs> I, um, yeah, she was she was here in Boston, and I, I snuck in uh, to see her. And, yeah, if anybody's interested, you can go to my blog for the full breakdown. I have um, transcripts of some of the choicier segments, and some of the things that she says to these people, it's just heartbreaking. Um she told one woman, uh, one woman asked her who killed her brother, and Sylvia said that it was two people, um, male and female, and they were very close to the woman who was asking the question. And that was just so horrific beyond imagination. I mean, if you just put yourself into this woman's place where she's lost her brother, she's probably you know, a bit upset. And now this hag is telling her that she can't trust anyone. Uh, anyone, so, male, wow. female, anyone. someone close to you. Yeah, she's, it's anyone close to you. you. You just can't trust them anymore. She doesn't have a name. She doesn't have uh, any identifying feature. So everybody is a suspect now. I mean, to put that woman's life in turmoil like that and not even flinch is just it, it's, it's beyond my it. understanding. It should of be a crime. Nature. It, it should be criminalized. Why does Sylvia Brown have the appeal she has? I mean, it, it, it's I, it, it scary. Escapes it escapes me. Really does. It's the power of self-deception. People want yeah. to believe that this exists. They want to believe that there are guardian angels around them. They want to believe that their loved right. ones go on after they die. It gives and them a sense Sylvia of control. Preys upon that. That's right. They feel like they have no power. Can't they get it from someone more talented even than Sylvia Brown? But you don't I mean, have to be is... talented. Clearly, clearly, you don't have to be because she is a terrible, terrible cold reader. Well, exactly. That's, my point that's is, what, what is this woman's doing. appeal? She has zero appeal, on, I think, on all levels and any her level. appeal is she sold Montel Williams on it and he puts her on a, a show. I think that was a big part of it is is Montel Williams is a tireless supporter of her. And Larry King's and Larry King's equally culpable, frankly. He is. He's had her on enough and he's He's uh, another mindless interviewer. So Sylvia, what do you see today? (laughs) He really uh, is a baboon. (laughs) The other video (laughs) that's been going around is just as bad. She again these parents who lost a child and she very quickly jumps the gum and says, Well, he was shot. And it, and the, the 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 mother, you can see she's shocked. She's like, doesn't know what to think. She's stunned at this, you know, this statement. She says, "Well, she just collapsed in her room, you know, and nobody." Right. And she and the yeah. autopsy didn't reveal anything. We have no idea why she dropped dead. Oh, she was shot. 
Yeah, I guess they must have missed a bullet in her heart or something. It's called yeah. a psychic, no, then psychic Sylvia goes. Sylvia goes, oh, I, I see something hitting the chest. Yeah, it change your story now. <laughs> Let her massage that story, and a half hour later she'll be saying, yes, yeah, she just collapsed. And also, you know, what? It, what what's really amazing is that's what made it to television. Yes. Um, there's <laughs> what, a, what, what was cut out? There's a vast amount of editing, and that's the other reason yeah. why I – recommend seeing these people in person if you can stomach it they're much worse uh, they're they're so much worse um i uh about 20 years ago i saw a no-name psychic at a barnes and noble you must have had some crappy book out i was there with you perry uh, yeah you remember chain we were sitting around and i made up a whole story about i don't know getting a job or something and i said chi do you think i should go for the interview and I don't know. I'm unsure. I think you should go for that job. And I think blah, blah, blah. Anyway, at the end, I I said, look, I made all this up. I don't, you know, I'm not going for a job. You know, I didn't see any. She just had a big smile plastered on her face and she was kind of wide eyed, you know, and said, and I I totally exposed her, you know, and I said, it was all fake. I didn't see any of it. And, and, and she was embarrassed and people got mad at me. And then yeah. when and it ended shortly thereafter, and I heard multiple people apologizing to her for me. Yeah, right. Yeah, for, for me being in the audience. Oh, boy. That w- that was the same crowd, Perry, where um, the the topic of crop circles came up, and one of the women in the audience said, "Well, how could you possibly make a perfect circle? <laughs> <laughs> like, About uh, a rope and a piece of wood." <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> So that's that's the crowd that we were talking that about. That was a tough room that's at Barnes & Noble that night. You know? It's worth that's... noting about Sylvia Brown that uh, she agreed to be tested by James Randi for the for the Million Dollar Psychic Challenge, and that was 271 weeks ago. Right. Oh, She's been man. ducking Randi ever since. Well, she said she couldn't find him, you know. He's not... Yeah, because he's so hard to track down. <laughs> he has the clock on his, on his webpage. He yeah. has the Sylvia Brown uh, yeah. countdown clock or whatever it's called. You know, absolutely, Perry. What what you mentioned about the people apologizing to the psychic? Um, yeah, I, I think that that's that, that happens so often. It's amazing because it's it's still part of that self deception thing because they buy into it so much that if the psychic is proven to be a fraud, then they have to admit that they've been lying to themselves all this time too, and that's a really absolutely. difficult We're thing to do. Um, and if if you guys don't mind staying on the subject for a second, I can relate another um, Go ahead. thing. Yeah, another thing that happened while I was at Sylvia's talk here. A woman came up and uh, wanted to ask Sylvia a question about her kids. First, she starts out by saying um, that she lost her husband two years ago. And Sylvia interrupts and says, why is he holding his head? And the woman looks really confused and she says, well, I, I don't know. And Sylvia says, I don't know either because he's holding his head. And she says, well, maybe he's confused. And she laughs nervously. Um, And she's kind of giving Sylvia the benefit of the doubt here. Um, Sylvia sticks with it. She says, no, he's not confused because he's made it. I think meaning that he's made it to heaven. Um, And the woman says, she she just looks really confused. And she says, okay, uh, well, what I'd like him to ask me. And she just moves on she just glosses over it because it's really embarrassing um and then the the amazing thing is that she actually goes on to kind of test sylvia because what she wanted to ask um is she wanted him to answer 
or where where he had a sex talk with her children. Her children wanted her to ask that so that they could confirm that he was actually there. So Sylvia looks really kind of nervous <laughs> and pauses for the first time ever. And huh. finally she spits out, one was in the bedroom, one was outside. And the woman looks really confused again. <laughs> and she says, one was in the bedroom and one was outside. You mean he had two conversations with them? Uh, which immediately indicates that Sylvia was wrong, that there was probably only one talk you know, with both of them. And uh, the woman says, well, we're outside. And Sylvia says, I don't know. He said outside. And By the bedroom window. <laughs> and, yeah, and, uh, you know, nice and vague. Talk, uh, talk about hedging your bets. Uh, one was inside and one was outside. Uh, right. Chances yeah. are you got one was right. <laughs> right. Well, bigger or smaller than a bread box. Yeah. Oh, so somewhere the, in the United States. Right. The, the, the woman asked for further clarification and Sylvia says, he said there was a tree, and he was talking to them. <laughs> Those were her exact words. There was a tree, and he was uh, talking to them. <laughs> no one tell me why I'm holding my head right now. I mean, right, and and Jeez. and this is where it gets particularly bad. Is that the oh woman, god? You get, the story continues. It, it actually gets worse here because at that point the woman just looks sort of disappointed, says okay, and begins to walk away. But Sylvia stops her, and she says. I'm telling you, something was wrong with his head, because he keeps showing me his head. How did he die? And the woman says he had cancer. Uh, he had colon cancer. Um, <laughs> so he had his head in his head. Right. And so, <laughs> Sylvia just sort of nods, like, yeah, okay, right. And And she says, and he said it went everywhere, right? And the woman says, it did, yeah, it did. And Sylvia says, well... Apparently that's what bothered him the most, and the woman oh, says, good. "Well, good at the very yeah, at the very end, uh, he was speechless." Um, and Sylvia says, "Yes," as if that was it. So you, you see, the I mean, so how could she? How could Sylvia get it wronger? <laughs> I right. just made that Rebecca, up. Rebecca, you um, know, from, from that story, it really shows that she knows that she's full of shit, right? It's not right. like she's self-deluding herself. There, there's cold readers out there that don't even know they're doing cold reading. Yeah. This was... But this she, was she knows it. It was a huge yeah. jump from... You're going from head to colon cancer. Yeah. I, I well, mean... She has her routine. She did not want to be put off of her routine. She had her high probability hit. It's either the head or the chest, yes. right? Yes. You're dead... It's either the head or the chest. She could have whipped out phrenology or something. You could always bring you can always bring it to something. No matter what happened to cause somebody to die, the final event is probably going to some way involve something in the chest or something in your head. Right. So that's she just she didn't want to get taken off of that routine, and even that failed. Yes. But but she but she goes to the the fail safe of yeah. you know of. And you you could well, see that the, you know the entire time the woman is on her side. And the woman is going to help her. She's going to walk her yeah. through this. You know, yes. it's like let me help well, you that, get from that, head to colon cancer. That, that is the heart right. of cold reading. That is what it's all about. It really right is. There. It's letting the other person do the work for you. The only way to come kicking and screaming into the light is at some point you've got to admit you were wrong. You were duped. Yeah. And it's, it's so it's such a huge hurdle 
to get over. Almost impossible. Imagine with, a, with that person working as hard as she was. Imagine if Sylvia said anything which, she, which, she, which was halfway right. Yeah. yeah. You know? It, it would be then, huge uh, for her. Headline. That would, that would get parlayed into, you know, a, a resounding success. Doesn't it drive you guys nuts that that woman puts her head on her pillow at night and she knows she's full of it? She knows she's it. She's a businesswoman, Jay. She's, she's into it for the money. I think the, the I think the important thing to to get out of this though is that um the people who are most invested in it are the ones who are giving Sylvia their time and their money and their hearts and the most desperate they're the most desperate and I think that that's yeah. why it's important to reach people when they're young before they get invested before they get so mm-hmm. fooled before they yeah. buy into it so much that they will never admit they're wrong um, you need to inoculate them against it ahead of time. That's Absolutely. right. Right. Once they're, once they're a true believer, it's hard. It's, they're lost. Right. Yeah. It's a it's a waste of time to even to even attempt to uh, you know to change people once you're there that far down the road. It's really you shouldn't be focusing your energies on on people like that at all because it's a waste of time. Right. One more quick news item before we move on to email. Uh, Rebecca, this one's for you. Oh. A a new study in Southampton University shows that uh, links high IQ with being a vegetarian. Oh, surprise, surprise. Surprise, surprise. (laughs) This is a study uh, reported in the British Medical Journal, and this was a study of uh, 8,179 people followed. um, Well, they they had their IQ carried out in 1970, and 20, uh, 20 years later they were surveyed to see what their eating habits were, and 366 of them said re- described themselves as vegetarian, although more than 100 of those said that they eat fish or chicken at some point in time. Yeah. So it turns That's out funny, that... That's funny, because uh, I eat fish every now and then. Vegetarian's a pretty broad term. That's right. Yeah, it's too, true. Lo- too loose a term. Yeah. Uh, men who described themselves as a vegetarian had an IQ score of 106 on average, compared with 101 for non-vegetarians, and females were 104 for vegetarians and 99 for non-vegetarians. So there's a, in both groups, there's a five-point difference be- between the vegetarians and the non-vegetarians. Is that enough of a difference to be accurate? You mean statistically significant? Yeah. Yes. It, it was statistically significant, yes. The, of course, the, the, always the big question is, all right, so what's causing what? Uh, is this A causing B, B causing C, or some thir- third thing, C, causing both? Uh, it, it certainly would be very premature to say that being a vegetarian makes one more intelligent. Uh, although some vegetarian advocates are trying to sort of say that the data suggests that. Okay. It's actually much more likely, especially since this, the way the study was carried out, uh, it's that high IQ predicted that later on you would describe yourself as a vegetarian. It's probably more likely that people who are more intelligent are more predisposed to becoming a vegetarian. And then there are, there are a host of cultural and social factors which could influence those decisions. Well, I think, yeah, one way or the other, no matter which um, causes which, I think the important thing to remember is that I'm smarter than all of you. Yes, that's right. We can't yeah, forget I'll, that. I'll crawl through <laughs> life with 101 IQ if it means that I can eat my filet mignon. <laughs> <laughs> please. I mean... The, uh, <laughs> isn't that the one made from baby deer? Sakes. Filet what? mignon? Isn't that well, no. the baby one? Oh, no, that's veal. I'm thinking of No, that's veal. French food. That's Never mind. Is it possible, Steve? It's just a nice, juicy, tender, center-cut steak. Steve, is it possible that that eating red meat could have any impact on how well your brain functions? Didn't. um, I mean, I was under the impression that 
when humans began eating red meat during our evolution, that helped us get larger brains. Um, yeah, I mean, the when we started cracking open marrow and eating the fat and you know eat, having a very high protein diet, uh, that enabled that partly enabled our, our stature and our brains to grow bigger because you know we need you need high calorie dense food, although that doesn't really apply to modern society because you know most industrialized societies today are not calorie restricted or calorie limited. So then the question becomes, you know, are there like micronutrients or nutritional factors in in certain foods that would promote, you know, brain growth that that could be associated with IQ? And there the evidence actually there really isn't any evidence that eating red meat has a negative impact or even that eating vegetables has a positive impact. The only one for which there really is consistent evidence is that fish does correlate positively with IQ. And there are there are fatty acids and other things in fish that are key components to uh, to brain tissue. You know, so uh, even in and some of these studies were done looking at say you know in in islands islanders that eat a lot of fish, and there's concern about mercury poisoning because a lot of seafood can have mercury in it, and they were they were concerned that maybe mercury was caught having a negative impact on IQ. Uh, but even in those studies that were looking to see if there was a negative effect of mercury from fish found that there was a positive effect overall from eating fish. So even if there were a negative effect from mercury, it was more than compensated for by the positive effects of eating fish. Hey, so Steve, real quick before we we switch gears, I just wanted to mention that uh, uh, Tom Cruise announced that uh, he's, I guess he's going forward with a, a movie that he has been trying to get bankrolled by the major studios. Now, all of them rejected him, and he's going to probably bankroll himself now. And it's a Scientology movie, and uh, Posh Spice just signed up. I guess Tom Cruise is very excited about her starring in it. Now, Tom Cruise, he eats meat, right? Yeah. yeah. No, he's glib. <laughs> he's um, sorry. Victoria Beckham is her name, I think. Well, yeah, you're right. Because uh, Battlefield right, Earth did so well in the theaters. So... <laughs> If anybody else out there hears about it, I'd like to know more about this. I can't find any other data on it. I want to know what the movie's actually about. I want to know what the, the topic is. What is Posh Spice? From the Spice, Posh Spice Girls. Posh Spice, one of the Spice Girls. She's married to David Beckham. Keep up. Oh. Remember, so remember all the, the English girls, all those hot girls? It's a person. Yes. Yeah. It's yes. Person. Aren't they the girls, aren't the Spice Girls the girls that walked into a room that time? And uh, one of them pointed at a computer and said, "Is that an internet? Where I want to get an internet." Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's, that's them, right? <laughs> that doesn't sound. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why. I should have known about her. I'm sorry. I thought it was. You a think that's apocryphal? I, that sounds apocryphal to me. No, I remember I'd like, that. I'd I like to that. see a reference. I'm, I'll, yeah, give me, I'll give us a source one. for that. But <laughs> I'll get you one. I was just going to say, I just can't believe Cruz is going to. Doesn't he? You know, put two and two together and see that once he start started really talking about you know his beliefs that his career tanked severely, and now he's going to make a movie about it. I mean, that's going to be the final nail in the coffin of his career. Uh, he's we he's wed to Scientology. He's wed to it. I hate that Forget bastard. It. I totally over. despise him. <laughs> we know, Jay. It's over. <laughs> oh God, I just can't wait for his this ridiculous movie to come out and for that guy to fall <laughs> flat on his stupid freaking face. Continue. I think the more Continue. people belittle him for it, the deeper he digs in. Oh, God, he's such an ass. <laughs> All right, your, your emails and questions. Question number one. This comes from Arno Van Werven in Dania, Florida. And Arno writes, Hi, with the upcoming holiday season, I'm running into a problem at home. 
The more I think about it, the more I do not want my child to believe in Santa Claus. She's only a year and a half old, so it is not a big issue this year, but it will be next year. When I mentioned to my wife that I would like Skyla, my daughter, to know the truth about Santa, she started crying and bringing up all those wonderful memories of her parents lying to her. What is the reasonable <laughs> thing to do here? Is there a middle ground we can take? Any suggestions? By the way, The Skeptic's Guide to the Universe is by far my favorite podcast of all. Keep up the good work. Well, thank you very much. Oh, boy. So there's a, there's a, I have actually a couple other emails, which I'm not going to read, but I'll put on the notes page, asking basically the same question. This question is also asked on the message board. So clear there are a lot of skeptical parents out there that are very concerned about Santa Claus and what to do in terms of your kids. I don't have a problem with it. I've got an eight-year-old, and and she'll be, she'll be Santa training very soon. I mean, I think the uh, the, the fun far outweighs any any of the dangers of uh, of of believing in the, in this you know fantasy person i mean my, my memories think think about your memories of santa claus and uh, most people I, I i think would agree that you know it was such a fun period of their childhood and then then you think of the transition uh to you know to not believing and i mean i just remember my mother telling me and i don't remember thinking oh you've been lying to me for years i hate you uh that never even occurred to me as a matter of fact for a lot of kids when they when they're told that Santa Claus doesn't exist, their first thought is, "Well, does that mean I don't get presents anymore?" I mean, they're not even, they're not even thinking. You, you yeah, bastards! Yeah. You lied to me these past seven, eight, nine years or whatever. It's it's such a fun time in their childhood, and some yeah. people have actually used that transition to kind of segue into a, a more you know skeptical outlook on life, which you know doesn't hurt. You know? Yeah, so the, so the, the two schools of thought are one is you know we, we I don't want to deceive my child and encourage them to believe in. And in a magical being, uh, the other school is that, it, as Bob says, it's a good life lesson. They believe in a magical being, and then as they they grow older and mature, they realize that it's not it's make believe. It's all a fantasy. And in fact, they may even at some point investigate whether or not Santa exists and and reason out his non-existence by themselves. I left a list of questions for Santa grilling him one year. You did? Santa Was that did last not... year? Did he, did he answer the questions? <laughs> he did not answer the questions to my satisfaction. <laughs> uh, there you go. So, that's, first of all, awesome. it's worth pointing out that nobody knows. There's no, like, data out there. No one's done psychological or sociological studies that I could find. You know, if anyone knows about one, let me know saying that one school of thought or the other is correct. So it's, this is completely dataless, which means everyone can have their own opinion. <laughs> the, but some parents are just don't like the notion of lying to their kids. And so I'm going to offer another alternative, which is what my wife and I have done. We, we haven't told our kids about Santa Claus, nor have we dissuaded them from believing in Santa. And you know what? They just pick up Santa Claus from the culture. It's... You can't get away from it. Oh, come on. You don't they, play along with them. Well, listen, they, I I never say anything which indicates that I believe or disbelieve in Santa Claus. I usually will just reflect back what they're saying at them. So you think this about Santa. Because the kids or are whatever. probably recording these, and they'll check them later, too. <laughs> and they'll see, oh, very clever, Dad. <laughs> yeah, so I, I mean, I, for those parents who feel uncomfortable about lying, I, nope, you don't really have to lie. You could just play the totally neutral you know, reflecting kind of uh, parent, and they will they will pick it up from the culture all by themselves. I think people must have had a very different childhood from me when I hear things like this because um, I grew up and my entire family lied to me nonstop because it was funny. Like they mm -hmm. loved 
just filling my head with nonsense <laughs> and seeing how long it took me to figure it out. Like, right, right. my <laughs> torture. Yeah, yeah. My my dad had a sports car once, and um, my cousin thought if you pushed um, one of the buttons on the radio, a parachute came out the back. And he thought that until he was 30, okay? Wow. <laughs> That's how my family works. We tell elaborate lies to one another because we think it's hysterical. So you're and... <laughs> telling this to us as a cautionary tale? <laughs> no, I think it's lovely. I, 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 think, the, I, I think children <laughs> – I, I grew up in a fantasy world. I lived in a fantasy world, and I think it's lovely That's for nice. a child to really believe in, in – dragons and you know fairies and it's it's fun to it's, imagine it's part of being a kid. what else is kids, out there it really is kids and i think have fertile imaginations that's part of being a kid and santa claus you know is is part of that right and well kids first of all kids do live in a fantasy world that's just the way their their brain development that's what absolutely they're not no matter what you try to do what you think is going on in their head they're living in a total fantasy world <laughs> Like Jay, well, now. Well make it fun for them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's right. Some people never grow out of that phase. That's, that's right. for sure. That's but I, I, th- I do think it, and it's, I think it's integral. I think it sets you up for a lifetime of wondering, well, what if this were true? And what if this were true? And then, you know, as they grow older, they're going to be testing those things out. And Santa yeah. Claus is not the same as God. And I think a lot of skeptics have a chip on their shoulder concerning this uh, because they they see the the parallels but there's a there's a very key difference between Santa Claus and God or whatever other uh, belief you want to throw in there and that is that eventually you do figure out that Santa Claus is not really there and so when your parents are telling you that there's a Santa Claus it's with a wink and they don't expect yeah. you at age 30 to still believe that the parachute comes out the back of the car. Right. <laughs> you know, right. The, right. So your skepticism, Rebecca, was a survival mechanism <laughs> for getting by your family. Your psychopathic family. <laughs> uh, I'm not sure psychopathic would be the word, but since they don't listen to this podcast, sure. <laughs> so, of course not. There you have it. Yes, Virginia, lie to your kids about something. Okay. Let's or go on. Oh, oh, and wait, and avoid it <laughs> wait, let me let me add let me add what I did. Let me add this one thing and maybe this will redeem my family. When my oldest brother started to figure out the Santa Claus thing, he went to my dad and said, "Dad, all the kids are saying that there's no such thing. Is there a Santa Claus? And my dad looked him in the eye and he said that there's a Santa Claus, but it's an idea and it's not a person. Santa Claus is doing good things for people just because. And so long as you keep doing that throughout the rest of your life, there'll always be a Santa Claus. Isn't that nice? See? <laughs> and they live happily. Very sweet. As psychopaths, yeah. Well, we've gone from Carl Sagan then to Sylvia Brown and now back to Santa Claus. Like an emotional roller coaster this episode. <laughs> Next email comes from Mike Kozlowski, who writes Dear Dr. Novella, first of all, I have to thank you for the amazingly prompt reply to my last email. Suffice it to say, you made my day. The podcasts are still fantastic. Keep up the good work. I do have a question considering autism, 
or more specifically facilitated communication as I recently saw a CNN special about said topic and I was surprised to see no skeptical rebuttal at all which confused me as I remember reading a debunking on the Swift commentary what's the deal here or more specifically my question is is facilitated communication real or not I think this would make a good topic for your show warmest regards Mike from he's from Ontario Canada by the way so um the short answer is that uh, facilitated communication is complete bunk, but let me give you the background on this. So this this came out in the 80s uh, primarily. This is the notion that kids who have severe autism or other forms of, of cognitive dysfunction who are not communicative, they can't talk, that in fact they have hidden literacy. They actually, there's a lot more going on inside their brain than is apparent simply because they lack the ability to speak. But if you could find some way to bridge that that gap of communication, then you could tap into this hidden intellectual life that these kids are are living. Of course, it's an extremely appealing notion to parents and to caregivers and to people who work with these with these kids that they're actually intellectually much more advanced than we think they are. The, the the mechanism of facilitated communication is that a facilitator would hold the arm of the the, the autistic or the or the the cognitively uh, challenged child, and then they would help them to point out letters on a letter board or to type keys on a typewriter. And the the thinking was that they just lacked the motor skill to do it themselves. They just needed a little help from the facilitator, but that they were directing the key punches. And when this method was applied to these children who appeared to be, you know, um, completely uh, nonverbal, they started writing poetry and expressing to their parents how much they've always loved them and, you know, revealing these deep, remarkable intellectual lives that were previously hidden. It was like a revelation. There were some, you know, workers who, you know, caregivers who've been working with these kids who were just emotionally overwhelmed by by this whole phenomenon. Unfortunately, the the early adopters and promoters of facilitated communication never stopped to question these methods, to ask the the skeptical questions. Is this method really working? Is there any other explanation for, for this phenomenon? Is there any way we could do some tests to verify that what we think is happening is actually happening? And before you know it, there were organizations and institutions and seminars and, you know, just hundreds of, of or thousands of, of practitioners. And, and then things started to get a little bit dark when estranged parents uh, would, you know, being the facilitator, would facilitate their autistic child spelling out, you know, that daddy raped me. Or, or caregivers started to un, un, to reveal that these kids were being abused by their parents or by someone else. So it was in right their on life. the heels of recovered memories, wasn't it, Steve? Uh, it was about the same time that the recovered memory thing was happening as well. So that, that that was a very very dark you know side to this whole phenomenon. And actually, I think it also hastened the end because now you had people who were motivated to be skeptical of this of this methodology. So it turns out when, when, when the studies were done, when information was presented to the child that was hidden from the facilitator or different information was given to the facilitator, the communication that was occurring was all consistent with what the facilitator was being shown and what they knew and was not revealing any of the information that the, the child was, uh, was being exposed to. 
So the, the, the entire facilitated communication phenomenon came crashing down. But like all uh, pseudoscience, pseudosciences, they rarely go away completely. So there are there's still dedicated practitioners, dedicated organizations out there who will not give it up, who, who you know, basically they did crappy studies to show that it works, even though all of the, the well-designed and performed studies show that there's absolutely no effect here. What you're actually dealing with is what we call the idiomotor effect. This is the same kind of phenomenon that produces dowsing, that produces the Ouija board effect, that it's basically subtle muscle movements that, that, that you're not conscious of. So it's not as if the facilitators were doing this on purpose. They didn't realize, they didn't realize that they were moving the child's hand uh, because of the idiomotor effect. Uh, so it was just naive. Steve, yeah. you know, you said before that the kids were, some kids wrote poetry. Yes. I find it very hard to believe that someone involved in this scenario isn't aware that they're doing it if they're literally poetry is coming out of them. No, they, they uh, I mean, Jay, maybe, Jay, if you can imagine, you know, certain words come out and then the facilitator might think that they're anticipating where the person's going with their poetry. In fact, they're, they're actually the one who's composing it. You know what I mean? So, yeah, don't, don't underestimate the capacity for self-deception. Um, it's also other some other things, and there was you know a good Nova special on this as well. And it's, Steve, it's, it's, excuse me, when you're manufacturing rape stories, yes, you you, you still think it's the idiomotor effect? Yeah, sure, absolutely. Your your fear that that of that they are being raped by the their your ex husband or you your hate. hatred of them. Yeah, your your yeah the your fear of that combined with your hatred of your ex husband says, aha, the, just as I suspected, you know, she was being abused by that, uh, that guy. I yeah. Don't you don't think it was ever manufactured? I mean, come on. I'm, well, I can't say that. I can't say that it was never I know, manufactured. I know. But I do think it's certainly possible for people to have done it purely through self-deception. Absolutely. All right. Uh, some, of the, some of the video of facilitators, though, I mean, there are so many red flags and you really have to shake your head. It's 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 you know sad and pathetic at the same <laughs> time. So true. in one of the, one of the videos, which is on, on there was a, again a Nova special sort of re expose of facilitated communication, the uh, the child who is allegedly communicating with facilitated communication is you know literally staring off into space. They're not looking at the keyboard at all. Uh, and it's you know it's impossible to one finger type one finger freehand type without looking at the keyboard. Try it. You know, you have to have your fingers on the board so you could feel where you are on the keyboard, or you have to look at the keys. So that, you know, so then this is one of those things where if you are dedicated to believing in it, you have to believe that these these kids not only are have hidden literacy, they're, prod they're prodigies. They could do things that normal people can't do, like single finger type without looking <laughs> at the keyboard. And that that even though that That's no one impossible. ever yeah even though hmm. even though there was never any attempt made to actually teach them how to read they somehow absorbed their built their literacy from their environment and in fact many of them were were reading well beyond their grade level so now we have to believe that children who have a, a fairly severe form of mental retardation or autism or whatever uh not only are have hidden literacy they have these hidden skills and they're actually intelligent beyond their years and i i have been personally involved with parents who believe that and it makes them feel better yeah it's a self deception then i guess very much I, I i i was personally involved with a parent who believed that their 4 year old child was 
through facilitated communication, was reading on a 10th grade level in both English and in Hebrew. Oh, wow. Did you dissuade them? They could not utter a word. Like, I, don't, I can't go, really go into more details than that, but I'll just say that that, okay. was, that was the case I was involved with. So right. that was... Uh, Steve, you could tell us. We won't yep, tell anybody. That's how bad it gets. <laughs> that's, that's how bad it gets. It's, yeah. It's, yeah. But it is sad. Oh, well. Well, I'm glad that... Uh, you know, I am very glad that it was revealed because, like, like what was happening with people getting false accusations. I mean, where was that coming from? Why would yeah, that it's happen? Like spectral evidence. Yeah. <laughs> like the person sitting there, the facilitator is sitting there, and is it? It's a totally unconscious thing that they're going to blame person X for sexual abuse. What? That's insanity. And that it was entered into evidence in the courtroom is incredible. I mean, eventually it ran its cycle, just like the repressed memories did, yeah. and, you know. Yeah. But still, for a while, this was evidence. It's crazy. You know, you wonder if afterwards, judges, uh, uh, lawyers, and so forth, who were involved in these things, recover memories, facilitating me, if afterwards, you know, if they feel any sense of regret and, uh, you know, that they, stupidity, that they were caught up in these things. You'd hope so. I, you'd you'd hope certainly so. would hope so. They could say to themselves that they were just going with the evidence that was available at the time. They Ugh. can't be held responsible for later scientific discoveries. But that's, that's no excuse. And now, Randy Speaks. Hello, this is James Randy. With the assistance of Chris, a volunteer who drops by at least twice a week to help us organize our library, we are going through the almost 2,000 volumes that we have in there now. Inevitably, as you might expect, we found that we had more than one copy of some books that were in two different categories. We trimmed that down rather considerably. And, of course, all the extras are going off to Michael Shermer in California for his library. But this process seems to bring your concentrated attention, or at least my concentrated attention, on some individual volumes that either I hadn't noticed before or I hadn't noticed in quite some time. For example, I have five out of the six volumes of That's Incredible, based on the television series created by Alan Landsberg of some years ago. I'm sure you'll remember that. And it's really quite revealing to read back through some of these entries. I'll add in here the fact that we're missing number four out of the six, so if anyone happens to have a paperback copy of That's Incredible, Volume 4, we'd very much like to acquire that. Leafing through these books tended to bring back some old memories of episodes we'd seen on That's Incredible, which I always used to refer to and still occasionally do as That's Inedible. One episode that got my attention, host John Davidson introduced an archer, a middle-aged gentleman with a regular bow, a target bow, and uh, a target was set up, as in an archery range. Now, I'm an archer from way back, so I'm rather familiar with this process, and I saw that, A, the bow wasn't terribly strong, perhaps 25 or 30 pounds or so, that's the way we archers talk about them. That's the number of pounds it takes to pull it fully all the way back to your ear when preparing to launch an arrow, of course. Now, the real star of this particular episode was somebody who stood about halfway between the archer and the target. The idea was that the archer would launch an arrow at the target 
and this gentleman would reach out and catch the arrow before it got there. This would appear to be a pretty daring stunt, because after all, a guy could get pierced. Not only that, how did he have such quick reflexes to be able to grab that arrow in mid-flight? It wasn't much of a mystery to this practiced eye. I saw that the arrows were not quite uh, traditional, let's say. They were specialized arrows called flu-flu, that's F-L-U hyphen F-L-U. And these are specifically designed to hunt birds. You see, birds have a habit of flying, and when the archer is out in the field and wants to bring down a bird for one reason or another, the risk is that the arrow gets away, misses the bird, of course, and ends up half a mile away. That's why flu-flu arrows were designed. Instead of the usual three feathers at the far end of the arrow, which would be found on a target arrow or on a hunting arrow, the flu-flu arrow can have as many as six feathers, and they're very much larger than the traditional three. This means, in effect, that the arrow will travel at the regular velocity as it leaves the bow and then rapidly slow down if it has missed the bird, of course, or in this case, to make it easier to catch. Yes, that was exactly the gimmick. The arrow was easy to catch because it literally slowed down just about the point when it passed the interceptor. He was able to snatch out quickly and grab it with very little trouble. Now, I happen to have experience as an archer, therefore I knew this, but I think that very few viewers of That's Incredible, that particular episode, would have that particular expertise. Therefore, Landsberg and his boys got away with it. Exactly the same thing applies when we're speaking about fortune tellers, psychics, metal benders, whatever. What's often needed is a special expertise. In that case, the expertise of a conjurer, a professional magician. In case you haven't noticed, I happen to qualify in that direction. So would you hear people saying, oh, what does that fellow know? He's only a magician. I ask you to consider, isn't that exactly the profession that's needed to catch somebody who might be performing tricks? Could that be? This is James Randy. It's time for Science or Fiction. Each week I come up with three science news items or facts. Two are genuine and one is fake. And I challenge my panel of skeptics to tell me which one is the fake. And of course, you at home could play along. We have a theme for this week. Ooh, can you get guys guess what the theme is? It, no, Christmas is it solstice. Santa Claus. Uh, Sandy Claus. No, these are the best science news stories of 2006 that we missed. So these are oh. all things of 2006 that we did not either talk about on the podcast or were not prior science or fiction. So that means all the stories Sorry. I looked at from the past two days are worthless. That's right. That's great. <laughs> all right, number one. A study finds that women who eat dairy are five times as likely to miscarry as women on a vegan diet. Mm. Item number two, That's scientists successfully test a vaccine against obesity in rats. And item number three, scientists study the effects of antimatter as a cancer-fighting tool. So one is dairy makes women miscarry, two is vaccine against obesity, and three is antimatter as a cancer-fighting tool. 
Rebecca, why don't you go first? Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone says that. We're going to go in reverse order based upon your record so far. Uh, yes. Wait, I'm not in first, am I? <laughs> yep. Did she pull ahead? Oh. How do you know? <laughs> Rebecca, you don't know you're first. You know you're first. <laughs> it was close the last time I checked. Did she pull ahead? I guess the past uh, month, I guess she probably pulled ahead. I got the stats. Okay, okay, okay. So, <laughs> um, women who eat dairy are five times as likely. Yes. And then... <laughs> Scientists successfully... Right. Obesity. obesity in rats, that sounds that sounds normal. Um, and testing antimatter as a cancer-fighting tool, that sounds ridiculous, but you wouldn't make that up. I'm going to go with... Don't do that. I'm going to go do with Don't do that. The... That's, how I, that's why I come in last every week, is I'm like, oh, what's Steve thinking? And I think too much, and I'm, you know, partly I'm stupid. Everybody knows that. Can, too, we, but... not, can we not yeah, coach you are each not. other and just let the... <laughs> Let the woman sink or swim. I'm gonna go with the um, the dairy being more t- more likely to miscarry. I don't I don't think that's right. Okay, Bob. Sounds like some sort of PETA press um, release. Let's see. Uh, scientists successfully test a vaccine against obesity in rats. That, yeah, that they seem to be doing that every other week. Um, I'll, I'll think that that sounds plausible. Scientists study the effects of antimatter as a cancer-fighting tool. That sounds utterly ridiculous. Um, antimatter is the most expensive thing to produce on the planet. It's like millions and millions of dollars per ounce or some, something crazy, or trillions of dollars an ounce. And More I than pleather, Bob? Wow. <laughs> can't imagine how antimatter can be used. And I hope Bob, you're not how much about... money would you put on the life of a little boy with cancer? <laughs> Just asking. <laughs> Uh, I I assume you're not not talking about quantum dots, Steve, because that's not antimatter. So that can't be three um, by any stretch of the imagination. So I'm going to go with I'm going to go with one that uh, that sounds the least plausible. I would think that uh, women that eat dairy would would be less likely to miscarry than someone on a vegan diet because you have to be so careful if you're on a vegan diet to get all the nutrients. So it's going to be one. Okay, so you're agreeing with Rebecca that the dairy causing miscarriages is fake. Yes. Okay, Evan. Yeah, I'm going to agree. I'm going to agree that this one's the w- the winner. Uh, that uh, because uh, the words dairy and miscarry rhyme, and if you go back, <laughs> folks, check. and you check all the uh, all the science fictions, every every time that there's been two words rhyming in the answer, it's been false 84 percent of the time. You've so cracked my I'm... code, Bernstein. <laughs> <laughs> so therefore, thanks for revealing therefore. it. Now he's going to switch his codes. <laughs> So basically, the reason why I'm losing all the time is because I can't rhyme. There you go. <laughs> you just Jay. rhymed. Jay. It's actually Perry's turn. Perry, you go. I'm better than Jay? Yes. Barely. Um, <clears throat> I'm above Jay. That's my claim to fame. Oh. Yeah, right, Perry. Oh, <laughs> sad. Okay. Uh, the first one, dairy. That's fine. Obesity, anything that blames obesity on anything other than my diet is true. And uh, you know, the last one is so asinine. It, it's a call back to the ether, um, as you'll recall. So, of course, we're not using antimatter. You know, to, it's, it's ridiculous. <coughs> that one's false. Okay, Jay. Uh, I will take number three with Perry. Okay. Wait a second. I blew it. Bob, you want to change your answer? The hell was I thinking? Wait, wait, there's no do-overs. He took his hand off the piece. No, no, I thought that was odd. It hasn't been revealed. You, you said he took it, his yeah. tongue off the piece. I misspoke. 
All right, Bob obviously meant number three because he because of what you preambled with. Right. All right. So, so Bob, you're going to jump on to the antimatter one. Absolutely. All right. So everyone agrees <laughs> that uh, yes. scientists have successfully tested a vaccine against obesity in rats. Yes. And that one is science. That was. I, mean, I, ha- I have a rat in my basement that was tested for obesity. Yes. Yeah, so this is the Scripps Research Science has successfully tested a new anti-obesity vaccine. Can I change my answer now, Steve? No. This one I came a, out. I, <laughs> no, let him. I have it's a greater percentage of getting it correct one. if I change now. <laughs> oh, everybody knows that's Monty cool. Hall. <laughs> Evan, you want yep. to be? All right, you can change it. No, he can't. No, 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 no. I'll stand solid as the only person. This one came out in July. This is the middle of the year. Shows that vaccine Thanks, slows weight gain and decreases stored fat in rats. This is a senior author of the paper, Kim Janda. All right, nobody's surprised. Move on. Yeah, no one's Next. surprised by that one. So that's that was pretty easy. <laughs> so let's go to number one next. The study finds that women who eat dairy are Wait five times says the words. to miscarry Suckers. as a woman on a vegan diet. <laughs> and this one is... Fiction. Yeah, baby. C- what are you talking about? <laughs> in oh, your faces. All Rebecca, really, high, I'm Rebecca high five. Yeah, <laughs> totally amazed. <laughs> <laughs> well, I about, the, this is a study. The real study is study finds that a woman's chances of having twins are increased fivefold if they eat mm-hmm. dairy, mm-hmm. not miscarrying. What? So this was study. This came bunk. out in May, May of 2006, in the Journal of Reproductive Stupid. Medicine. Stupid! That magazine is right. a rag. Go to three, Steve. I can't uh-huh. wait to hear this one. Number, th- which <laughs> means that number three, antimatter rays studied as medical treatment. That's so stupid. That's that bullshit, Steven. Is- where is it? Who? <laughs> where? It's utter bullshit. In a, re- a recent episode of Star Trek. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> All right, I'll buy that right. one. No, no. This, Come on. This is, this is from. The uh, CERN, which is the, uni- the European Organization for Nuclear Research. Oh, yeah. No. Well, that explains no, well, I thought, it. I can't, wasn't it the I National can't Enquirer? Win this game. I just this can't is, win this game. They are, was using, real science. <laughs> they are using anti-protons. The Weekly World News. And they are te- they Steve, are that's testing, baloney. They Dude. are testing the cell-killing power <laughs> of anti-protons, and they find that <laughs> Antiprotons have four times greater cell killing power than regular protons. Get out of here. It tests the researchers fill tubes with hamster cells in a gelatin to stimulate human tissue. It says to achieve the same level of damage to cells at the target area, one needs four times fewer antiprotons than protons. We got this antimatter by reaching through the ether to a wormhole. Yeah. Steve, that's ridiculous. It's so expensive. <laughs> what? They're making antimatter to test this? Yeah, they're selling it at Walmart now, Bob, so you can actually get it. Send me that link, because I I am totally skeptical about that. It's totally false. We will be vindicated. You misread it. Coming weeks. Can you think of another medical application where antimatter is used? Um, Can I? Yeah. Medical? Say it. Yep. Is it it some sort of um, imaging device? Yep. A diagnostic imaging device that you right, routinely It's not uses. MRI, is it? Nope. That MRI stands for magnetic resonance imaging. Yeah, what? Cat scans? Nope. That's, com- that's computer-assisted tomography. See, oh, I'm saying they're nothing Oh, and they about. pump the radiation <laughs> through your blood. Come on, give me another one. Nope. That one where they took pictures of my lungs where I had to swallow the paste and... No. Uh, reflexology, or... reflexology, where they... Uh, speculums. <laughs> Have you ever heard of a PET scan? Yeah, positron emission tomography. It's like a CAT scan, only more general. Why would they only use it for your pets? Why can't people use that scan? 
I've heard of a pap smear. Positron emission tomography. Positrons. Okay. Positrons. Yeah. They're antiparticles of electrons. So, huh. there you go. <laughs> so, good job, Rebecca and Evan. Yes, right. Thank you. you. Thank you, doctor. 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 <laughs> Bob snatched defeat out of the jaws of victory at the last minute. <laughs> Somehow, I feel like this is my fault. I'm sorry, dude. <laughs> no, it's not. I still don't believe that, it. That, we'll was, be vindicated. that was a tough one. Don't that update donuts. We will be vindicated. Don't update it your stats until I look into this one. That's right. Uh-huh. I wait on the boards. Anti-matter. On the boards, I wrote. On the boards, I wrote uh, that I am actually statistically anti-psychic because I I miss <laughs> more than the average. Like if I'm, I'm actually below, bo- it's side missing. It's side yes, missing. I'm side missing. Bob is our champion. He will prove this nonsense. Nonsense. Thank you. Jay, I yes. think I think you're humble to a fault. You actually have the capability of getting them all correct, and you just choose to get some of them wrong. I'm jinxed. Yeah, I don't know. It. I just get nervous. I get very nervous with this. Uh, Evan, let's read last week's puzzle. Well, we had a very simple puzzle last week. And what was it? <laughs> Hello. <laughs> it's making sure you're all still there. Insert puzzle here. <laughs> here is Last week's puzzle was, if I have three items that are multicolored, five that are black and white, and two that are red, black, and white, what do I have? Now, there were no correct answers. A serious medical last... problem. Yeah. Evan, Evan <laughs> can, I, uh, can I make a guess? Yeah, Since you want to take a guess? Sure. A, yeah. a Rubik's Cube. No. Okay, shit. Balls? No. Jay, were you nervous when you gave that answer? I was pretty nervous. <laughs> Anyone ever heard of the Rorschach test? Oh, yeah. yeah. The ten original ink blot patterns that yep. uh, that they uh, that the doctors whipped out. And where's all the red? And yeah, where are you going with this? Well, that's the answer to the puzzle. <laughs> yeah, that's the answer. <laughs> the 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 Rorschach uh, test ink blot cards. Those were the original ten. That's, those were their uh, colors. That uh, Some of those are supposed to be red? Yep. Red, red, black, and white. Some were multicolored, and others were just black with black They gave me that white. test when I was a kid. They were all black and white. No, you're just colorblind, Perry. No, the, we're, talk, we're talking about the original. <laughs> the, the, I, I looked it up specifically. The original ones were, uh, were in that configuration. Now, there have been variations on that test that done ever since and apparently continue to get used. In lots of different, uh, lots of different ways, with different patterns and different colors and so forth. So I'm not surprised that you uh, you maybe came across all black and white. Evan, do you know what that test actually reveals? Well, absolutely nothing. <laughs> really, absolutely. <laughs> it, from what I understand, it, can, it is only done to uh, patients that have a relationship with the doctor, so the doctor knows them, and they use it to infer. Where you're, what basically what you're thinking, like where you, where your feelings are and things like that. It's not like uh, it really comes to any conclusion that you have this type of problem or that type of problem. It just gives the the doctor like an idea of where your where your mindset is. Even that's kind of dodgy though, because things aren't. It wasn't the case when I was in kindergarten. They stuck me in a room, had some quack show me the cards. I told them what I saw and I left. Yeah, but End did they? The what kind of diagnosis do they come from that? None that I'm aware of. I think yeah. I was just a guinea pig. The bottom line like, is, I mean, there really isn't any sp- anything special about the Rorschach test. I mean, any kind of claims made that it's doing something in- in specific haven't really been validated. But some practitioners say it's just a way of loosening up the client and getting them to talk about things. It's just a prop, a device. See, I would have used this on dates. That could, I could have loosened up these girls with the Rorschach test, you know? <laughs> yeah... Unless the Rorschach were printed on $100 bills, <laughs> yeah. I don't think that's going to work for you, Jay. 
That's great. <laughs> that would be really cool, though. <laughs> you should try that, actually. I, I, I will. I will. Uh, uh, Cosmic Vagabond mentioned uh, in the post that um, he believed it was some sort of cards, a uh, set of cards. He wasn't sure if it was playing cards or, or something so that like that. that was the closest. So that was the closest that, uh, that anyone even cool. uh, tried Wrong answer. Uh, okay, close enough works here. Nobody got it. Move on. I have a new puzzle for this week for everyone. Okay. Oh, good. All right. Here you go. He was born in a creek, <laughs> and he died in a different creek. As a boy, he'd appear to make furniture tip over and instruments rise off the ground. As a young man, he took his abilities about and abroad. His slate of feats stunned the U.S. crowds, the United States crowds, and European heads of states. He often spoke with his wife, especially when she wasn't around. He drew the applause and accolades of scientists, such as Alfred Russell Wallace, and he drew jeers and accusations from the likes of Charles Darwin. He stood trial... He was found guilty of fraud, yet he escaped prison time. He was once a millionaire, but he died broken and penniless. His deathbed confession spoke volumes beyond his pauper's grave. He was, in fact, a fake. Who was he? Good luck, everyone. Good I think I know who it is. Well, well keep, sub- keep it to yourself. <laughs> yeah, keep it to Submit yourself. Submit it. Maybe you'll win days. a prize. <laughs> so, we have two quotes this week to commemorate Carl Sagan. Uh, Bob picked one and I picked one. Let me read mine first. Mine's a little bit shorter. This comes from the demon-haunted world. Carl wrote, The method of science, as stodgy and grumpy as it may seem, is far more important than the findings of science. I think that sums up a very important concept of science very much. That we, What we care about and what we're promoting here are methods, not specific conclusions. And, Bob, you, you, why don't you read your quote? Your quote yours is a bit longer. Yeah, I've got one uh, from Carl Sagan, of course, from the 1987 Psychop keynote address. He said, in science it often happens that scientists say, you know, that's really a good argument. My position, my position is mistaken. And then they would actually change their minds, and you never hear the old view from, from them again. They really do it. It doesn't happen as often as it should because scientists are human and change is sometimes painful, but it happens every day. I cannot recall the last time something like that happened in politics or religion. Right. Absolutely. That is, that is true. That's one of the best things about you know, working with scientists is that they're, they're, you're working in a culture of respect for, for truth and validity. You know? One of my favorite Sagan quotes is the one we have on the uh, skepticsguide.org homepage. Read it. Uh, for me, it's far better to grasp the universe as it really is than to persist in delusion, however satisfying and reassuring. And Carl never said billions and billions. He never said billions and billions. He That's never right. said that. That's right. Um, well, thanks, everyone, for joining me again. This was our Thank last you, our last full episode of 2006. Next week, we are going to have a year-end wrap-up episode. It's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to reminisce about the last year for the Skeptic's Guide and in skepticism and science in general. Uh, and everyone will be there as well. We're going to have all six of us present. Sounds like a blast. It'll be fun. So oh, look it forward, will look be. For that. Um, Steve, before we close, I'd like to mention that we, uh, I don't, we addressed it on the boards, but we have uh, advertising. Uh, Google advertising on our site now. Yeah, this is just a, a painless way to support the Nest and the Skeptics Guide. 
We also Jay also added a media page on the on the website, and some of our listeners uh, have taken advantage of this. There is a, a a a banner that you can use either on your website or as a link from any uh, from a website or whatever to the Skeptics Guide, and we will be adding material to that over time. But at the moment, there is a, a web banner that you can use, and I've already had a couple emails from listeners who have. Uh, who have used it on their websites. And I would like to say Luna came up with this suggestion, so I thank him for that. Yeah, so kudos to Luna. Well, thanks again, everyone. Thanks, Steve. Thank you, Steve. Steve. Until next week, this is your Skeptic's Guide to the Universe. The Skeptic's Guide to the Universe is produced by the New England Skeptical Society in association with the James Randi Educational Foundation. For more information on this and other episodes, please visit our website at www.theskepticsguide.org. Please send us your questions, suggestions, and other feedback. You can use the Contact Us page on our website, or you can send us an email to info at theskepticsguide.org. Theorem is produced by Kineto and is used with permission. Problems.